What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Today is Friday, December 2nd, 2022. Today on the show, it's Power to the Pod. It's all the things that you want to talk about going into Week 13 as we get ready for the Dolphins to play the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins, your team every day. We don't just say it, we live it here on the Locked on Network. Today's episode of Locked on Dolphins is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with, with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. We are diving into the mailbag today to bring us home ahead of a big game between a couple of Super Bowl aspiration teams, the Dolphins and the 49ers. Uh, we are on Teron Armstead watch, trying to get a vibe if he is going to play. It sounds like he's certainly going to make a run at it for the Dolphins, uh, which, which would do nothing other than give me uh, more confidence in Miami's ability to go out west and win this football game as we kick off the uh, meat and potatoes of the Dolphins schedule now, now sitting at 8-3. and three. Uh, The Buffalo Bills, of course, defeating the New England Patriots last night on Thursday Night Football. I think I'll start there first before we dive into the first mailbag question uh, in that um, this was a win-win situation for, for the Dolphins, right? You have two divisional opponents playing each other. If Buffalo loses... Uh, the Dolphins get a leg up in the AFC East playoff race or, or divisional race, but at the same time, Miami has uh, control of their own destiny in that regard with a head-to-head win against Buffalo already. You just keep pace, and hey, if you beat them twice, you will effectively be two games in front of them if you keep serve uh, between now and that time uh, with the head-to-head tiebreaker. So Big stakes week 15. We, we obviously have week 13 and week 14 to tackle first and next weekend on Sunday Night Football, but you know, for the Patriots' perspective, them falling to 6-6, six and six, and, and they've already received a loss at the hands of the Dolphins, and they will play the Dolphins again. But, uh, I mean, you, you start doing the, the numbers game and the math count, right? And that's what this season's all about when you switch to December. And the Patriots now have six losses. Uh, Miami has eight wins. So it doesn't take a, a scientist to know that the Patriots uh, have to go 4-1 and one to give themselves a probable chance any chance really to, to finish ahead of the, the Dolphins in the final standings of the Dolphins will play the Patriots head to head. And if they win that head to head matchup, then it is over the, you know, the, the Patriots would have to be perfect and the Dolphins would have to lose every other game the rest of the way. So I'm uh, just kind of looking at the, the ramifications as through chunks of this season, the AFC has East has fielded four playoff teams. Uh, we can rest easy knowing that new England has the numbers game against them when they play, Oh, you know, the Bills again. They play the Bengals. They play the Dolphins. They've got Arizona and the Raiders the next two weeks. Uh, But then rubber really meets the road uh, for the Patriots with Dolphins, Bengals, and Bills to close the season. So uh, you start doing the numbers game and think about where Miami Miami sits. And you know, you could it's it's not mathematically assured yet, but just based on the ramifications of New England's loss uh, to Buffalo, Miami can feel pretty good about eliminating the Patriots being a team that finishes in front of them in the conference standings based on uh, how their seasons have played out through this point in time. So 
that is the general win. I admittedly don't like rooting for either one of these teams on a Thursday night, but uh, for a, a ramifications perspective for the Dolphins, uh, the, the outcome that led to the higher probability of you making the playoffs happened, not necessarily the one that gave you the boost and the extra leg up in the divisional title race. But Miami will ultimately have their own say in that because they'll play the Bills again. Let's um, let's dive into some questions here. Uh, got a lot of good ones. Wayne has our first one, and Wayne left a review on the show, and he asked, with the upcoming game against the 49ers, which coach do you think has the advantage? Shanahan and Mike McDaniel have been working together for a long time, but I feel McDaniel might have the advantage. He knows most of the 49ers' plays and schemes way better than Shanahan knows ours. You know, Shanahan has been a head coach longer, but what are your thoughts? I'm hoping it's a good game. Um, I, I do think Mike McDaniel has a slight edge because Mike McDaniel has extensively worked with the personnel for the 49ers on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball. Whereas Kyle Shanahan knows Mike McDaniel's tendencies, but he hasn't intimately worked with the players on both sides of the ball in the way that McDaniel has. So, so as far as understanding the strengths and weaknesses and the pros and cons and the highs and lows of the individual players, I think that is an advantage that Mike McDaniel has that could give him some unique insight into crafting the right kind of game plan to cook up a winning formula when it is all said and done. I can't guarantee it's going to transpire like that, but that's just as as you look at the familiarity for both sides, um, that's that's kind of the first place that my mind goes. Uh, Tyler has our next question, and, and Tyler, you, you, the caption is, I might be crazy, but, and I can assure you, you are crazy, sir. Personally, I think Josh Porter's performance on the defensive coordinator has been fine considering our injuries. That being said, if the Dolphins do decide to move on, you think Brian Flores would be in play to take over? Uh, I agree with you uh, in the first portion of this that I do think Josh Boyer's performance as the defensive coordinator, considering the moving target that the Dolphins have had to adjust to throughout the entire first two months of the season and the, the, the Byron Jones issue kind of being dropped in your lap when all that we heard was he was going to be ready to go. Um, so from a personnel standpoint, we, we kind of made some – uh, additions in the preseason and Mackenzie Alexander immediately goes down the moment he signs and then Needham goes down and Brandon Jones. So I think Boyer has, has done about as well as you can hope for when you're missing an $18 million a year player in the secondary. And now you're missing three of your four traditional starters and, and uh, or three of your first five traditional starters that you had penciled in at the beginning of the year. Now, that being said, at the end of the day, everybody cares about the numbers. Everybody wants to see how the, the performance metrics line up, and, and Miami has not performed to the recent standards. So I'd be very disappointed unless the wheels completely fall off the bus down the stretch here for Josh Boyer to be transitioned away from. But I would say that there is a 0.0% chance in my mind that Brian Flores would be in play to be the guy. I think you could go out and get some other aggressive blitz-oriented type names that don't have the baggage that Brian does here. I mean, Brian sued the team when he got fired. Like, I, I just, I think there's too much bad blood there and too many hard feelings and, and too many egos involved uh, to, to look at Brian as a, a candidate that would be willing to step in here and be a positive contributor to what the Dolphins are continuing to try to build, in my mind. Now, I know he's had some good relationships with, with players on the defensive side of the ball, but 
or we might just be too far gone in my mind. If you're looking to play daily fantasy sports, make sure you play prize picks, which is daily fantasy done right. I myself just did a Thursday night football three-leg parlay last night, so that was fun. You can pick two to five players, and if their score goes more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 extra money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's you versus the projections in-house. They have projections available for just about any sport that you watch. And entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It's safe and fast withdrawals, and it's currently operational in over 30 states in Canada. Uh, make sure you download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. So if you put in 100, they're going to give you another 100. If you put in 50, they're going to give you another 50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Uh, Berthy has my next one, and he is tugging at my heartstrings because he's got a draft question. But this is fun. Okay. It, it is about a running back. Listening faithfully for a long time and have grown my knowledge of football thanks to you. Thank you so much. I'm a big draft nerd. A great minds think alike. And Texas A&M Aggie alum. And I wanted to get an assessment of the Dolphins taking Devin Achain as a late-round replacement to Raheem Mostert as an outside zone back. He ran a 10.14 100-meter dash, which if you're not familiar with track and field, that is stupid fast. <laughs> yeah, is, you, you are flying on air. Um, and it's really hard to bring down for his size. His great hands, and I think it would be worth noting that Tyreek Hill also played running back at OK State with a similar stature to Achain. I think um, Jalen Jones could be a fit at corner as well but I would rather pound the table for Ache. Uh, so here's my fundamental issue with Devin Ache. He is listed on the roster at 5'9", 185, but he doesn't have the build of 5'9", 185, and maybe he played at 5'9", 185, but there is the if, if you look at the historical record of running backs to come through the NFL and ask which ones have gone on to have significant success at 185 pounds or less, uh, the list is very small. So I think you'd be drafting him to be an, a statistical outlier. And, and this is just my opinion. You know, he has electric speed. He's a home run hitter. He, he averaged... 6.4 yards per carry across his career as a runner, and he's involved in the passing game. So there's plenty of redeeming qualities here. But like, at what point do you feel comfortable investing in a player that statistically speaking and historically speaking is unlike all of the other common denominator qualities of successful NFL running backs? I think he could be a really good gadget piece, but if you're going to try to replace Raheem Mostert, I think that's a bigger role. I mean, that's 150 to 200 carries probably. Um. So there's a juncture in the draft where I think the risk would be worth it, but I don't know that that juncture for me personally would align too much with where predictively he's probably going to hear his name called. But I do think the the NFL draft is probably going to be a a pipeline for the running back position with with some of the day three draft capital that the Dolphins have that will make sense uh, to go that route. Um, and there's going to be plenty of good options. Um, it, it's just a question of, again, where where the value makes sense versus some of the other needs that we're going to perceive that the Dolphins have, whether that's uh, a long-term right tackle, an addition at left guard. We obviously need defensive backs and more depth there with some contracts coming up. So um, we'll have plenty of time for those conversations. But I love the fact that 
you brought a really fascinating name to the table because Achain is so explosive. He is so dynamic. He is so successful. Uh, Finkel has our next one, and he asks, as an irrationally avid fan of nose tackles, which is in my Twitter bio, it is factually true, what is your opinion on the play of Raekwon Davis this year? I was a big fan of his during that draft cycle, although I envision more of a hybrid-type defender like Richard Seymour at the time. He doesn't appear, to me at least, to be progressing into a dominant nose tackle. I know he lost a lot of weight this offseason, and maybe that's a contributing factor. When you watch the tape, you see a guy that's consistently winning and getting pushed. Here's, here's what I would say. If you put Raquan Davis in a situation where he's in a one-on-one position and situation with center, I think he executes his job at a very high level because he has length, he has some fluidity to have blocked disengagement stills and get into either A-gap and make a pile. But if you are looking for the rock, boulder, immovable object in the center of the defense, I don't think that's Raquan, especially because he has lost a little bit of weight and they, they have tried to get him on the field in some more uh, – diverse situations instead of just being like, okay, first and 10 plug. So he's a little bit more in between now. Um, and and he, he has not recaptured kind of that one electric season that he had as a pass rusher and penetration player at Alabama. Like that, that hasn't been his role. I think he's an adequate starter as an a gap two gap interior defender in the NFL. Do I think there's, Players out there like the, the DJ readers of the world um, who are much more impact. You know, I you could probably put uh, Javon Hargrave can go in this bucket. Uh, Kenny Clark for the Packers can go in this. Like, they, they, there's more densely built. Because Raekwon's like a long guy, right? Like, that's the unique thing about Raekwon as a, as a nose tackle is he's still a very long player. And that leverage, I, I think, is something that can rear its head at Raekwon for times as he tries to leverage gaps and make sure he's low man or, or anchoring. Um, but I think he's been an adequate starter for the Dolphins, and, and I certainly would like to continue to see him be a staple up front for Miami, especially when they're in those bare fronts uh, and they're, they're trying to occupy those interior gaps. MK with our next question. 49ers defense is going to be a real challenge. What offensive strategy will have the most success if Armstead is out? What can we do to keep up, keep up front and keep our pass rushers off to his back? So this falls in line a little bit with what we dove into deep dive on uh, Wednesday. Uh, so it was a little bit ahead of the curve, uh, but want to give you a shout out for, for reaching out with a question. Um, as far as anything new that that's – kind of come in the time since we talked about this on Wednesday, I would say for Miami, you can probably benefit from trying to space the field. I, I think what's interesting is there's an inverse relationship between the 49ers pass defense and the Dolphins passing offense as far as like the areas of the field where Miami outperforms NFL average is also the areas of the field, the same exact areas of the field where San Francisco's defense outperforms defensive NFL average as far as efficiency in defending that area of the field. So one thing that the, that the Dolphins have done when they've gone empty uh, is they put, they, they've been very effective and two has been reading the field very well uh, to kind of have anticipation windows. So if you can space the field and you can give some pre-snap early answers. I'm receptive to that being the idea, but like the first time that that goes wrong and awry, 
like I'm probably not coming back to it. <laughs> so um, that would probably be my my first reaction for something new that we did not talk about when we went over all this kind of stuff uh, on the Deep Dive podcast earlier this week. Today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts that we're sure you're going to love. Find Think Like a Champion now wherever you get your podcasts. Think Like a Champion is a brand new podcast from Russell Wilson and Audible. Russ is a champion on the field, but off it, we rarely know the grind on the path to greatness. Russell Wilson, along with co-host Harry Wilson and the late Trevor Moad, dig into how high-performance athletes Artists and leaders push the boundaries of their potential. Here from two-time Super Bowl champion and MVP Von Miller, deliver sharp insights about performing at your highest level in moments of extreme pressure. Or NCAA champion Tim Tebow discuss how to find your unique personal mission in the world. Hosts will swap stories and share proven mental techniques that have gotten the world's most elite performers across the finish line and beyond. Available for free on Audible or wherever you get your podcasts. Next question comes from Victor, and Victor wants to know why all the teams that visit the Dolphins stadium have that plastic or tarp-like covering on the sideline. It always looks like when players land or run on them that they seem to lose their footing. Isn't that dangerous for them? Uh, It's a good question. Uh, I wish I knew the dynamics of of hard rock and the the grass, and, you know, is is it better than is there irrigation? on the field that, that prompts that area to be compromised. We want to keep ourselves clean, like from a grass and, and footing perspective. I don't know. Um, if anybody who is listening to the podcast is familiar with uh, stadium upkeep and care and tech uh, and um, technology and, and equipment management would love to hear from you on this. We get you to follow up for Victor and I can uh, teach myself something as well. E2 with our next question. As the Dolphins start this stretch of difficult games at the end of the season, how much, if any, do you think the game plan will change to be more run-eccentric, especially with games in Buffalo and New England remaining? The run game will be very important and essential to winning in potentially tough winter weather. Thanks for all you do. Okay, so this is a good question. And I think for me, I come back to the phrase and I don't remember who originally said it, but it's it's popped up on my timeline a couple years or a couple times this year. And it's that you throw to score and you run to win. And when I think about the phrase you throw to score and you run to win. Can you run when you have to? Right? So running when you have to can be a couple of different environments and situations. It can be in the red zone. It can be late in games to kill the clock and get key first downs. It can be in cold weather, adverse climate situations when it's heavy rain or it's um, very windy. So I think about that, but then I think like Miami at the core of what they do, they're an intermediate level passing offense that's predicated around timing and ideally run after catch. So I still think the Dolphins are going to be a team that throws to score but as they've grown in the running game you'd like to think that they can can run to win and if it means you have to run to win for 60 minutes they'll be in a position to do that well that that's that's as good of an answer as i can provide here because it's um 
it's a dynamic of the team that I thought we'd see more of and that we've seen some growth and uh, I'm encouraged by it. But it is something that is a little bit of an incomplete. Gator with our next question. After watching Wilson's abysmal game against the Patriots, and of course, Zach Wilson, uh, he was, was benched, and you had Mike White come in and serve as the starter, and was okay, if we're being honest. Uh, I'm interested in how you comparatively rated Wilson and Tua coming out. Tua had the decorated college career, but Wilson was drafted higher his season. And with what you've seen, do the Jets move on, or do you think Wilson can blossom in the right situation in year three like Tua? So Tua had his questions. Obviously, they were, they were medically related in time. You knew he had an adequate level arm, uh, but then the hip did influence that, that arm strength for the first two seasons he was in the NFL. Um, and Tua had the transition of playing in an offense where everybody had separation and your first read was often open. So the statistics, overwhelmingly, you were through your first progression and the ball was out and you were winning. So it was, it wasn't nature with Tua. I think it was nurture. You know, there, there were components of the Alabama offense that created nurture that him transitioning to the NFL had to kind of learn to feel the game a little differently for the pro, the pro game. Where I think about Zach Wilson, and this was my number one critique on Zach Wilson the year he came out, was that he was not only at times, he, he was a bad process player. Zach Wilson would routinely have bad process and get good results. And because of that, he had, was negatively reinforced to consistently play the game in a manner in which is not sustainable. And I think that is what you are seeing now where Mike White comes in and the New York Jets offense magically looks exponentially better. And to be quite frank, they did nothing exotic and they did not ask Mike White to make a single hard throw across 28 attempts. And yet he threw for 300 yards. And it's because Mike White does the basic routine stuff. And Zach does not. Zach cannot consistently do it. He has not shown the ability to do it. And the question is, okay, can, can the Jets tame the Stallion? And I'm kind of at the point right now where I don't think they can. I, I don't think Zach has the right kind of makeup, especially in the New York market, to bounce back from this as Mike White mania takes over the team for the second time in two years. That could get real ugly. I'd be stunned if the Jets double down on Zach. I would. Uh, because you have a guy like Mike White, who's a, a day three quarterback, who's been a career third string quarterback, who comes in and he puts up the nine, kind of number that he does. And, you know, it was against the Bears, right? Tua put up great numbers against the Bears as well. And I don't want to disqualify that. But I looked at the degree of difficulty of throws that Tua made against the Bears in a somewhat blustery situation for what it's worth. And, and you compare that to Mike White and it's just schemed screens and check downs and perimeter quick hitters and slant flat and double slant. And, you know, Mike, to be honest, had his own not very good process stuff as well. And we'll find out more about Mike White this week because the Jets played the, the Vikings in Minnesota. But for Zach himself, I think the big difference between Tua and Zach is guys that aren't the biggest guys, you know, guys that, that were playmakers in college is Tua had to, to see the game and the, the, 
see and feel the game a little differently in the NFL to play the same style of football that he played at Alabama. And, and of course, it's that's accentuated with the speed that you have at receiver. For Zach, Zach is throwing five-yard outs against a clouded press corner and completing it because he's playing against um, the, these marginal schools with guys who aren't NFL talent. And he's completing a ball by putting it in a place that that player could not defend, but structurally and anatomically speaking, for a defense, if you get up under center and you see we got a clouded corner, they're going to run cover three, and they're going to play somebody over the top, and we're going to run an out to the boundary, and they're impressed with cloud and zone coverage, you don't throw the out because that corner in the NFL is going to sit there, and he's going to, it's going to be pitch and catch, and you're going to hit him right between the eyes, and he's going to be going the other way. And he made those throws routinely at BYU. And he was encouraged to do them here. And then it's like, oh, well, wait, the, the cloud corner can make a play on the ball. I was like, yeah, man, welcome to the NFL. So the Jets are in a very interesting spot because their defense is playing at a very high level. They have a lot of potential. Uh, they, they have the ability to run the ball. They're physical up front. Uh, they're going to be a team that we're going to have to compete with. But I don't think we're going to be a team that is competing with them if they continue to have Zach Wilson uh, at the reins of the offense. So that, that's kind of my two cents on it. Um, and, and that is all that, that we actually have time for today. I'm down in Atlanta for the SEC Championship with Draft Network this weekend. So uh, we're getting ready to go make the rounds a little bit. Um, so make sure you keep it locked in right here at Locked on Dolphins. Fins up your team every day. I want to thank you guys for checking out the show. Make it a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Sunday. Go Dolphins. Let's get after it. And let's get number nine. Fins up.